This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. This morning, we caught up with Jimmy Tokioka. He left his House seat last year to take up a post in the governor's administration. He serves as the director of the Department of Business, Economic Development, and Tourism. He was tasked with leading the Maui Economic Recovery Commission following the wildfires. The commission held its first meeting on Friday at the University of Hawaii's Maui College campus. Here's Tokioka. What we know from the, the start is that whatever we do is going to take a while because before economy can start on the areas that had been affected by the fires, they have to be rebuilt. So the focus is at Maui County now is doing some of the pop-up businesses. The state has helped in the buy local, buy Maui product. We've supported pop-ups here on Oahu for Maui businesses. But this Economic Development Commission is going to lay out a blueprint as far as what economic development and the economy will look like as far as the community is concerned. So we had a lot of local people there, obviously from Maui. We had the nonprofits that were there just to brainstorm and to come up and lay out a plan. So the, the first meeting was on Friday, and we had over 90 people that attended the meeting. Like I think it was closer to 100. And some people say, oh, that's way too many people. But we, we wanted to get as much input as we possibly could. All of the groups had some cultural specialists that was there that would share, you know, direction as far as what they think is important to recovery on Maui. And, you know, we broke it out into nine different groups. So the groups will meet via Zoom for the, every month, twice a month in May and in August. We'll convene the big group again just to tie things back up together from all of the different working groups. But every group that meets, we have a scribe and a note taker that shares the comments and the suggestions that come up. And then those comments will be shared amongst all nine groups so everybody can see what the other groups are working on. What we're also doing is asking them what type of expertise they think they need to have in their working group, whether it's our read office or you hero to come up with data whether it's the HTA to talk about marketing and the Hawaii Visitors and Convention Bureau to talk about marketing for the island, whether it's our sports office at HTA and our sports liaison through the governor's office, which is Keith Amimia. And so just so that people can get access to what types of resources are out there to help Maui. And when we're done with this in August, is the goal. It may take a little longer, and if it does, that's fine too. But when we're done with it, we will turn over this plan, our Office of State Planning will collaborate all of the information and put it together in a plan, and we'll turn that over to Luana Mahe, who is the co-chair of this uh, commission, the Economic Recovery Commission, and she is the Economic Development Director for the County of Maui. Well, we know that one thing that's key to recovery is getting our residents, you know, in uh, stable housing, long-term housing. And we know sure. that the governor and the mayor, you know, announced their big push at the end of last week as well. You know, because it, it is hard for those hotel workers who are still in those rooms at the places where some of them work. And so we know that's also a, a key part because, we, you know, we don't want to see our residents move away. Correct. Uh, so that was the theme. We, I, I will get to you the information that was printed up there. And we had an incredible artist that worked the whole day. In fact, there were two of them, Sin DeRozier and Savannah. I didn't get Savannah's last name, but they were absolutely incredible. So everyone who was speaking, they drew messages that the speakers had. And they also drew pictures, character pictures of the messengers. So it really kept the audience engaged and looking at the different highlights of this mural. And it's the size of probably 20 feet, 20 by 4 feet. And they went to three of those. And it was pasted up on the wall so that people could see what was the highlights that people were talking about. And I've never sat through a whole meeting with somebody doing that. But they were absolutely incredible. But, you know, we're just going to tie all of that information up together so that people from Maui, the mayor and the governor, uh, were at this, this meeting as well before they went to their press conference on the housing, the $500 million housing project that uh, Endeavor is. But we just want to make sure that as much as possible we can help the, the people, the community on Maui recover. And I think 
you know, when we talk about the 90 to 100 people that were there, you know, that was the overwhelming theme that everybody, and, and we're talking about very important people throughout the state, you know, financials, you know, people, healthcare people, hotel people. You, we had presidents of all of those industries that were there, and they spent the whole day there. A lot of these people are very, very busy, but they stayed the whole day. So that was very heartwarming to see how engaged all of these committee members were. The cultural specialists that were there were engaging with, like I said, executives here from Oahu. But what was important to DBED and the committee is that the majority of the people from this commission are from Maui. But, you know, when it comes to healthcare and financial banking executives, you know, a lot of the, the heads of those industries are on Oahu, and they flew over, but still the core was from Maui, and, and it was a very well-attended group, like I said, from, you know, technology specialists, television and phone, you know, all of that. I was very uh, honored to see all of the people that came to support this commission. I know you talk about, you know, a meeting again in August, and, and that will mark one year, but, you know, one reality, stark reality, is that the federal assistance that we're getting, you know, FEMA, you know, they're going to be gone in another six months or so, right? So we've got to be able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to continue this recovery. Correct, correct. For the most part, there's still going to be assistance from FEMA, but you're right, the majority of the FEMA workers will be leaving. And, you know, the whole time that this was going on, what I was uh, hoping and praying for is that there was no big a huge natural disaster someplace else on the West Coast, because then we may have lost Bob Fenton, who is the Region 9 leader, and he was here the day the fire happened because they were at a conference. So in speaking with Bob, he's telling us that it's a minimum of one year that he's going to be here, and probably 18 months. So the governor has developed great relationships with the White House and FEMA because of the disaster and the president coming over and the president pledging his support for Hawaii and Maui and for the governor. So we feel confident that it it is going to end, but with the resources that we put in place, we've had companies from all over the world. Uh, When the governor and I went to Japan, we had one company that is going to be donating tiny homes that they purchased for the tsunami, and they had like a thousand of those that were extra. And they already sent 50 over just to house their employees at the Kapalua Golf Course, and just so much support from all over the place. But I think going back to what you referred to, we feel comfortable that with the relationships that the governor has made, that we will continue to get the support and and Hawaii won't be forgotten a year from now. What about the tourism piece, the reset for Maui? Well, HTA and the industry is working on that. So, you know, the governor made the bold decision to open the hotels on October 8th. And we know that uh, there were some people in the community that were upset because of that decision. But we also knew that was part of uh, my responsibility is to find out what the numbers were at the hotel properties, what the numbers of reservations that the hotels had that were coming in after October 8th, you know, on the 9th and, and so on. And the numbers were very, very low. So we knew that, you know, people weren't coming in droves to displaced visitors that were in hotel rooms. And the biggest event just happened on Maui since the fire, which was this past weekend, the century. And we had hotels that worked, you know, incredibly hard. The outrigger properties, they called over 300 people that had reservations with them because of the December 15th crunch, where we thought we would have to displace some of the the survivors, the fire survivors. And what the outrigger did was they called people who had reservations and they canceled. They asked them to cancel their reservation because they wanted to make sure that they kept the survivors in the property. So, you know, we, we have those types of stories. And a lot of times in the news, we hear the stories of some people who were displaced and for some of the reasons that weren't totally communicated correctly in the media. But we didn't hear the stories in the media where... You know, the the Royal Lahaina Hotel and the outriggers, when they are totally supporting the survivors and keeping them in, you know, and not and turning away regular business so that they can keep the survivors in their hotels. So 
I got to give a big shout out to them. Gosh, I don't know if there's anything else uh, on the horizon. I know HTA uh, uh, comes up for the legislature uh, this week. You know, I don't know if they're sitting in a better position than they were a year ago, you know, with the issues of funding in the lawmakers. And, you know, you're on the other side now. Uh, uh, Well, I'm (laughs) uh, quite ironically, I'm on both sides. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm a board member, uh, which uh, legislation uh, put me as a voting member on the board prior, or not me, but the the, the position uh, prior to... Uh, June, I believe, or, or July, I'm sorry, I was on the board, or the position was on the board, but not a voting member. So mm-hmm. uh, that is an awkward position to be in, to be responsible, or be the uh, point of the umbrella for mm-hmm. the agency, but also be on the board. Right. Uh, Sunshine Law that's involved with that. So as a director of the agency i could directly talk with whoever i needed to talk to on the board uh-huh. uh and it could be more than two people but not board member that just eliminates that and i take the sunshine law very very seriously because you know right. i'm held to a different standard i'm i'm the director i'm not a volunteer but i mean just on the other side in that you're a lawmaker you know <laughs> oh that, that, yeah that oh, side yeah. <laughs> so yeah I, it, it's different it's certainly yeah. different i am so proud of being a part of the governor's team but being a legislator for as long as i was 26 years 16 at the legislature and 10 at the, the county council on Kauai, it's a whole different responsibility yeah. and mindset where as a legislator you can come up with proposals you can make uh, pass bills and laws and, and kind of work through the process. But administering what the legislature approves is a whole different other subset and skill set. I know when I talked to the governor, I think you had just had the first meeting with Mufi and there seemed to be a little bit of tension. One of those meetings, the governor called it a, a, a bit of drama. But I don't know. Are you and Mufi on the same page about uh, where things need to be with our tourism right. marketing plan? Well, I think so. I mean, every relationship, whether it's personal or business, you don't always agree. You know, I have my responsibilities and he has his responsibilities. I've, um, you know, I have to think of things differently. I have 16 attached agencies to DBED. I was asked if I was trying to hold things up at HTA because of some of the decisions that I had to make with the rest of the other departments. And I stood firm that if I'm going to tell one agency, whether it's ADC or HDDC, that we're in a hiring freeze, we're mm-hmm. in a budget crunch because of what happened on Maui and the shortfall in the budget. And I get a memo from our budget and finance director asking us to really be frugal on our spending and cut right. back as much as we possibly can. And then I can't turn around on the other side and, and you know say to HDA, okay, well, Certainly, you know, we can not go through the process that everybody, every other agency is going through. So it's, it's just different positions that, you know, we're right, you're in. trying to try to strike a balance, yeah. I respect people who don't agree with me, respect the ability to try to work through a compromise and mm-hmm. and, and not take things personal. So for me, it's um, I'm fine where we're at now. And that was Jimmy Tokioka, Director of the Department of Business, Economic Development, and Tourism, talking with us this morning following the very first meeting of the Maui Economic Recovery Commission that was held last Friday. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Hawaii Life Real Estate Brokers, serving Oahu, Maui, Kauai, and the Big Island of Hawaii. Listings and information at hawaiilife.com. Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, host of The Body Show. Each week we do our best to provide you with up-to-date medical information from our local experts that might help you or someone you love know more about the world of medicine. 
Join us today for our latest episode at 6.30 right here on The Body Show. is the conversation on statewide member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Coming up, your backyard quiz. Onihoa, olehua, onihau, okaua, oahu, omolokai, olanai, omau, okaholabe, ohavai. Let's delve into animation lore. 2024 is a year that Walt Disney's iconic 1928 short Steamboat Willie becomes part of the public domain. The film marked the first appearance of Mickey Mouse, who became the first of what Disney fans called the Sensational Six. The group also includes Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy, Pluto, and Daisy Duck. She's Minnie's best friend and Donald's girlfriend. She's also the aunt of the triplets, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Known for her sassy personality, Daisy is somewhat of a fashionista and is recognized most for her purple signature dress and matching bow. Fans first got a glimpse of her when she entered the Disneyverse in 1940. Since then, Daisy has been in many short films, full-length features such as who Framed Roger Rabbit, and many television shows. Over the years, she's been voiced by various actresses. For today's Backyard Quiz, can you name the Hawaii connection to one of the early voices of Daisy Duck? Call 808-941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable HPR tote bag. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareet Hawaii, which supports nonprofits providing parents and children experiencing homelessness with opportunities to secure housing, including Family Promise of Hawaii. NareetHawaii.com. Public Utilities Commission is being asked to reconsider a decision about a rooftop solar rate structure. It's basically how Hawaiian Electric customers will be compensated for providing power to the grid. And it is the solar industry, not customers, that are pushing back this time. HPR reporter Savannah Harriman pote joins us live. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. How are you doing today? Good, good. So this, December, uh, this uh, decision came down just in December, a few weeks ago. Yes, so it came down kind of in the middle of the holiday season, so just after the Thanksgiving weekend on December 4th. And solar advocates caught wind of it in the following week, and they actually filed a motion to reconsider, so asking the PUC to reconsider their decision and order about these new rates the following week. I talked to Rocky Mould, who is the head of the Hawaii Solar Energy Association, and he says under the new tariffs called Bring Your Own Device and Smart DER, which will replace the current tariffs this spring, they could fundamentally change the solar energy landscape. And his concern is that it might make it more cost-effective for residents to consume all of the energy they produce rather than sell it back to the grid. Here's and the rules that came down in this final order create incentives for for customers to install solar systems that really only serve their own needs. And so it really is turning on the head, uh, turning on its head, this, this idea of the clean energy grid of the future that we've been working on for a decade or more. So and what's so, their objection? So the concern, right, is how we're going to move forward to meet our goals um, 
to be a 100% renewable state. We've been relying heavily on rooftop solar so far. About 37% of the single-family homes that are served by Hawaiian Electric have rooftop solar, according to the utility's most recent sustainability report. So if you look at Oahu and Maui County, customer-sided solar, so solar on rooftops, is the single largest renewable source of energy available to the grid. On Hawaii Island, it ties with geothermal. So if Rocky Mold and other solar industry experts are correct, and we stop seeing that be as important a source of energy to the grid, we're going to have to try to get that energy elsewhere. He's seeing this as a strategy that relies more heavily on utility-scale solar, but as we've seen in the last two years, there have been many challenges with bringing utility-scale solar online. And so the concern then is that they uh, uh, are just being half-hearted about it and not really interested in encouraging rooftop solar? Right. Uh, Solar industry experts that I spoke to see this as kind of an about-face because they have worked in the past collaboratively with the utility as well as the commission to design programs that encourage solar, rooftop solar. One specific program is the Battery Bonus Program. That program incentivized households to build solar storage units that could provide energy back to the grid during high demand hours. And that was actually specifically launched ahead of the AES coal plant in 2022 to help Oahu address the energy shortfall it saw after the closure of that coal plant. You know, the, 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 the energy that the battery bonus program is providing comes in at a much lower cost than having to build like new utility scale assets because it's really, we're tapping resources that are already available. So really we, we kind of learned that, that rooftop solar assets out there are valuable assets to be tapped to allow us to stabilize the grid, which in, in turn allows us to bring on more affordable, reliable, renewable energy uh, as we approach 100% renewable energy um, and achieve the, the, the state's goals. And so where are we at with the battery bonus program? So the battery bonus program did hit capacity on Oahu. It is still available for folks on Maui and Big Island until June. But the new tariff structures will impact anyone who's signing up on Oahu after March 2024 or anyone who's rolling off their old contract. So when you build um, rooftop solar and you get connected to the grid, you have a contract for how long you're going to supply power and at what rate. That's generally seven years. So there are some people who will be impacted in the next couple of months. Interesting. And then what's the trend elsewhere? So this is interesting because the concerns that we're seeing in Hawaii echo some of the concerns that people in California are facing. They had a decision come down through their Public Utilities Commission in December 2022, so a little over a year ago, that also drastically lowered the compensation that people got for rooftop solar. Um, And the concern there is that it's going to and has impacted solar energy jobs. Um, So the growth of the solar industry, people who work in the process of designing and installing solar rooftop units. And Rocky said that that could be a concern for the solar industry in 2024 in Hawaii as well. What our industry is looking at is is a reduction in the the potential market for solar, rooftop solar going forward. And so, you know, that that will mean that, um, you know, uh, less people employed um, in marketing, financing, installing, designing, uh, new solar systems, um, you know, in, in 2024. Yeah. So the, Hawaii, the Hawaii Solar Energy Association, along with the Hawaii PV Coalition, filed a motion, as I said, asking the PUC to reconsider its decision on these new rates. The Earth Justice Attorney Isaac Moriwake represents the association. This is what he had to say. I have to assume that the commission is going to respond in some significant way. And, you know, it's a big question, though, if they're going to do enough, kind of realize their mistake and and correct course, or whether they're just going to follow through with this approach. 
It's interesting. I mean, I'd be curious to find out if uh, the solar industry, you know, made their concerns known while they were going through this docket, through the hearings process. This docket, 2019-0323, is a large docket that has been going on for four years, four years, having all kinds of conversations about what our distributed energy resources, so energy that's on rooftops, is going to look like. And this is just one of the cases that's in there. Um, this was of enough concern to Isaac and Rocky and the Hawaii Solar Energy Association and the Hawaii PV Coalition that they're actually asking for another hearing in order to discuss this issue. The other folks that we need to hear from are the consumer advocates. They represent the interests of utility customers, and they're expected to respond this week. I also reached out to HECO, and they said that they, that they believe the motion filed by industry advocates to reconsider the motion has, quote, not met the legal burden of demonstrating that the PUC should reconsider its earlier decision. And they stand by the fact that the new tariffs that are going to take place, um, that they're going to kick in in the spring, will streamline the process. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens because it's a rare move, I think, you know, one to ask the PUC to reconsider and then, you know, whether the PUC actually does is another thing. So, yeah, uh, we'll have to stay tuned. But thanks so much, Savannah. Of course. We'll certainly be on the lookout for that, Catherine. All right. That was HPR reporter Savannah Herman Pote talking to us about an effort to change a PUC ruling on a solar rate structure. You can read more of her stories on our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for HPR comes from Anainaho Community Park on Kauai, presenting East L.A. band Los Lobos, performing their Mexican and Latin American-influenced rock and roll January 26th and 27th. Tickets at anainaho.org. This Saturday, HPR presents Gaylord Duvalds live at their Atherton studio. Join us for an evening of world and regional premieres of new works, and Wa'ahilo Ridge featured field recordings and electronics with double bass. For tickets and more info, visit hprtickets.org, sponsored by Farm Lovers Markets. Support for HPR comes from Mobi, a Hawaii wireless company serving the island since 2005, committed to providing personal service to each customer, featuring a locally-based customer care team. Learn more at Mobi.com. Skies are dark and rains are starting to come down across the state just as efforts are about to get underway to shore up a number of historic properties in Lahaina. This morning we talked to Theo Morrison who's with the Lahaina Restoration Foundation. Work on reinforcing two buildings is to begin this week just as a flood watch is issued for the islands. The good news is that five of the historic structures that burned in the recent wildfires have stone or coral walls that are still standing. But two, the Baldwin Home and the Master's Reading Room, are in need of immediate attention and could be affected by heavy rains. Here's Morrison. The reason we are choosing to do those two buildings is that the lintels are the kind of a brace above any of the openings, like the doors and the windows. So these are stone buildings. So the stones above the, the door opening need to be braced, or otherwise they would just fall down, right? So... In the Baldwin home, those lintels were made out of wood. In fact, they were actually small, three or four inch, maybe four inch 
branches or like logs, small logs. That's what they use. And they burned. So right now there's no support for those openings. That's one problem. And the other problem is just the walls in general, because when they built it, there's no bracing in these buildings. So they were tied together by the floors and the roof, all of which burned. So there's no support for the walls. So that's the other reason why we we're going to be putting external braces on the walls. You know, while we wait to get permits and all that stuff, the chances of the walls falling down is greatly reduced. So this is really emergency work that needs to get done because, you know, when we talked earlier, you were saying that you believe what five of those properties, you know, um, could be salvaged because all the walls were still up. Yeah, all the, the stone and coral block buildings can be salvaged. All the all the walls are standing. So that's Siemens Hospital, Masters Reading Room, Baldwin Home, Old Lahaina Courthouse, Old Lahaina Prison, and Holly Aloha. So they can all be salvaged, um, and we plan to do that, but we just want to make sure that the walls that are standing right now will still be standing and Baldwin Home and Master's Reading Room are threatened right now. So that's why we chose them to brace up immediately. The lumber is coming in today, being trucked into the site. And, yeah, I mean, if it's pouring rain, I don't think they can really work tomorrow. So if it's not pouring rain, then they'll be working. They just start preservation, came by and looked at all the buildings. And then right now, under FEMA... The AIA, which is an architectural group, they are going around and assessing all the historic buildings in Lahaina as to their stability. I was at Seamus Hospital when the AIA people came by, and that particular building has a lot of cement as a mortar because it was rebuilt in the 80s, like Lahaina Restoration rebuilt it in the 80s, and the person doing it used a lot of cement. So the the structural guy said it's, it was built like a tank. So he said he didn't even recommend any shoring at all on that particular building. But the Baldwin home, although Lahaina Restoration did redo the Baldwin home also, it's mostly a weak lime mortar that's holding it all together. So it's just more vulnerable than um, like Siemens Hospital. But they're all going to be assessed by the architects and the structural people. And share with our listeners who may not be familiar with uh, the Master's Reading Room and the Baldwin Home just how important those structures are to Lahaina's history. The Baldwin Home Foundation was the home of Dr. Baldwin, who was very influential as a pastor and also a doctor. And he's mostly noted for he knew how to use live vaccine to inoculate people. And there was a huge smallpox outbreak throughout Hawaii in the 1800s. And Dr. Baldwin, through his vaccination program, and he went on horseback all over the island. He went to Lanai, Molokai also. He was able to save tens of thousands of people, which wasn't the case on Oahu. And they also had, under Dr. Baldwin's orders, they prevented boats coming in from, from it's just kind of like COVID, they prevented people from coming in from outer islands into Maui during that time in the event that they might have smallpox. And the smallpox came from foreign ships. That's how it came into into Hawaii. And it just spread like wildfire because the people had no resistance to it. And then the master's reading room? Oh, well, that was built for the captains of the whaling ships. So they had a place to read the newspaper, which was six months old, and catch up with each other and at the time sitting in that master's reading room you could see your ship there wasn't a harbor there but you could see your ship in they called it the roadstead so you could still see your ship it was just for the the whaling captains and then underneath the on the first floor was a place for the mission to store supplies that they got from oahu so this was a nod to the whaling industry it was a short-term thing. It was only about Mm -hmm. um, 30, 40 years when the whale industry, and they didn't come here to kill whales. A lot of people think they did. They did not. They came here to reprovision. 
So they, after they left Boston, went around, went around the Keep a Good Hope, and they came to Hawaii. They ran out. They were pretty much out of food, so they 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 bought lots of produce and meat and things like that here, filled up with water, and then they went north to kill whales. And then the same thing happened on the way back. So on the way back, they came. They stopped off in Lahaina to to refresh all their supplies before they headed back home. So there was no whaling. Very little. There might have been a little tiny debt. But basically, the ships were not set up to do whaling when they were here. So at this point, though, as we prepare to work on these two structures, yeah, we just have to keep our fingers crossed and then uh, and just work through the process. Correct. Yeah. Right now, there's, you know, it's kind of just bad timing, but it's the way it is. So we just have to wait and see what tomorrow brings. And if we can start work, we will. If we can't, we won't. All it's right. one of those kind of things. <laughs> okay. Well, we will send good thoughts your way. And, okay. and hopefully you can get that work started. But thank you so much, Theo. I appreciate your time this morning. Sure. Thank you. That was Theo Morrison of the Lahaina Restoration Foundation talking to us about efforts to restore several historic properties that were destroyed during the August wildfires. I'm Carolyn Beeler with The World. Each day, our program gives you a chance to step outside our borders to hear what's going on around the planet and how events in the U.S. are seen across Africa, Europe, Asia, and the Americas. Our reporters and producers dig deep to find stories that connect you with what's happening worldwide. That's why we call it The World. Join us. Beginning this afternoon at 1. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art. Portraits of Kanaka O'Evi community leaders by Kapulani Landgraf opens January 17th, the anniversary of the overthrow of the Hawaiian Kingdom. HonoluluMuseum.org. When you support HPR, you support locally produced programs featuring locally produced music, including Kani Kapila Sunday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kani Kapila Sunday. I'm Kelly Iloma, and I'm so happy to be with you again on a Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. to offer you great Hawaiian music from all periods. Hawaii Kula Ivi. Aloha noi kako, you are tuned in to member-supported Hawaii Public Radio 1's Hawaii Kulaivi, Ovono Keio, DJ Mermaid, Paige Okamura. And Mauka Tumakai. This is Mauka Tumakai. I'm your host, Roger Bong. Your support brings the music of Hawaii to the world. Support Hawaiian and local music programs on HPR. Donate at hawaiipublicradio.org. it's time to animate the answer to today's backyard quiz. If you've been to Aulani, the Disney resort on Oahu, you're very likely, you've very likely taken a picture with your favorite character, maybe Moana or Stitch or Mickey Mouse, or maybe another one of the original characters, Daisy Duck. Well recognized for her fashion sense, Daisy Duck first came on the scene in 1940. Many talented actresses have given voice to the beloved character over the decades, and we're looking for a Hawaii connection to Daisy, and interestingly, it's through Punahou alum Joan Blondell. The actress is best known for the 1931 movie Blonde Crazy and the TV show Here Comes the Brides. Blondell has a, had a little sister who also went into show business. The younger Blondell co-starred with Ronald Reagan in Accidents Will Happen before doing the voiceover work for Daisy Duck 
1945. You may remember Gloria Blondell. She voiced Daisy Duck for six of her nine speaking appearances during the era of the classic Disney shorts. And we stumped you on that one. No winners today. But that's the quiz. If you have an idea for one, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. The executive and legislative branches of local government have gotten much of the attention during the recovery phase following the Maui wildfires, but the judicial branch has just been as integral in helping residents and communities get back on their feet. Maui District Family Court Judge Adrian Haley Kyres was recently selected as one of 60 courageous judges by the National Judicial College for her work in the community in the aftermath of the Kula fire. Judge Healy Kyres was sworn in 2012 and has been with Maui's family court since 2017. She talked with the Conversations Russell Subiono about her experience during the Kula wildfires and what being named a courageous judge means to her. I was at work that day. But I was driving home and I could see the flumes of smoke on Haleakala, on Olinda side and Kula side. And the winds were just raging and the strongest I've ever seen. I also saw cement light posts from Kinke Kalike High School mm-hmm. blown off their bases on wow. to the, towards the highway. The police were trying to control that. But when I got home, it was so windy. Roofing panels were flying off. So we also saw flames 60 foot, maybe less than a mile from our home. So we made the decision to evacuate with our four children and our animals. We had horses and some dogs. So we headed to Haiku and stayed with my family. And then we were in work the next day. And shortly thereafter, we're seeing the news reports. Mm -hmm. And shortly thereafter, friends and colleagues including Chief Justice Mark Rechtenwald and Brandon Kimura with the administrative director of the courts, wanted to come visit with the Maui community and the judges and the leaders in the community, including Maui County Bar Association, then President Christina Lizzie. She moved to Lahaina in July, she said, and then in August experienced the devastating loss of her business and her home or her rental in Lahaina, or where she was staying. But she, as the MCBA president, met with us judges and Chief Justice Rechtenwald and Brandon Kimura with the Deputy Administrative Director of the Courts, as well as HSBA, Maui Representative Jacob Lowenthal, and the Public Defender, Danielle Sears, and Ben Lowenthal, and other attorneys in leadership positions, including Andrew Martin with the prosecuting attorney's office to see how we can band together and see the needs of the community, the immediate needs of the community Mm -hmm. to try to address how we can help maybe re-sheltering or helping with identifications and getting mental health resources. And as a family court judge, I am privileged to work with many agencies that support families and children out in the community, including the Friends of the Children Justice Center and Child Welfare Services. And I called the section administrator, Ms. Reinecke, as well as the social workers and search and guardian at Lightums, because I knew there were children in care in Lahaina that needed to be accounted for, as well as receive services or help with evacuating and sheltering I just confirmed with Danny Egberg, one of the social workers that I talked to the day after the fires to gather the list and see how many children were out there. And she helped with evacuating them to the evacuation sites or family homes away from the fires. They all made it out safely, which was good to hear and so refreshing to hear. But there were 13 resource caregiver family homes that were destroyed, six completely, seven damaged, and at least 24 children in care that were safely evacuated after the Lahaina fires. And days after as well, Brandon Kimura hooked me up with the governor's office to help provide psychological first aid and trauma-informed cards, as well as a shout-out to Manning Tate and Herb Lee. They were from Oahu. Nalu Studies, they put me in touch with 
the Center for Study of Traumatic Stress, and they gave me resource cards that I forwarded out email, but I also had laminated, and the topics of those cards were helping children and families recover, grief leadership, so very important issues that we could address, but simple resource cards that we can hand to the evacuation sites, the resource centers I gave to the office of the mayor, prosecutor's office, public defenders, corporation councils, and all the volunteers and leaders in the community. So I was really surprised when I did get the notice from the National Judicial College because <laughs> I was so busy doing work by regular calendar, helping at home and keeping my kiddos safe, as well as the hustle and bustle of things. So when I was shocked to see that I was named one of the 60 courageous judges, I was really in awe because there's so many deserving judges, not only across the road and country, but within our own community. And I don't know if you had a chance to review the press release from the National Judicial College. I have not seen the full list yet, but I do know... One judge that they highlight in the press release is Frank M. Johnson, who was the federal judge in the 1956 Rosa Parks trial. That's a that's that's pretty uh, impressive company to be part of, I think. Right. I'm so extremely humbled by it. I I would never envision I could make a list like this. I just do what I do daily and try to help people and be of service to the community. But when I read certain bios on the honored judges, including Judge Johnson, who did the Rosa Park landmark case that ended segregation. I was just blown away that I could be in their company. But there's a lot of good and a lot of people here in the state of Hawaii and across the world that want to do good and be of service and make sure children and families are safe out there. When it comes to your personal experience, I read that after you evacuated Upon your return, you found that your home had suffered some heavy damage, but you didn't completely lose your home, but many of your neighbors did. What's the recovery process been like for your family and your neighbors up there in Kula? Before I address that, I also failed to mention that the Chief Justice and his team found out that there is loss and devastation of homes or damage of Lahaina court staff members. So they immediately talk to see how they can create a GoFundMe page. And that provided immediate financial relief for those Lahaina court workers that experienced loss from the Lahaina fires. So that was another example of them stepping up and responding and helping those that were affected. That truly shows the Aloha spirit. In terms of the Kula, I also saw neighbors driving up with, you know, water tankers or their heavy equipment to try to clear brush and they were just banding together and churches with supplies and meals and water and water tanks because as you know for months in Kula the water was not clear to drink or even boil and we had to cook with bottled water you know in our crock pots and not use those for a week you know for months but they had water tanker trucks at the fire station at churches, potable water so you can fill up water. So it was such a community-led effort. And I know the mayor is having talk story sessions to continue that discussion to see how the needs of the community can be addressed. But it's just overwhelming to see the love and the support of your neighbors, (laughs) your community members, those off-island, those from around the country. But for our recovery and the damage to our family home, doesn't even compare to the Lahaina and our Kula neighbors that lost everything. A few windows here, roofs on the garage, ambers and soot within the house that we can clean. Our house is still standing with uh, just a few minor repairs. Uh, Doorknobs are blown off just because the wind when it was open and our animals are safe, re-sheltered back at home. So it's just amazing to see everyone coming together to help your neighbor and realize what's important. It's going to be a long recovery. But, you know, I mentioned Charlie, the eight-year-old foster child. Right. That I ended up doing her adoption the Friday after the fires. She gives me inspiration when I think when things get tough, we can get through this. She's eight years old. And she was in foster care 
at six years old or even earlier because her mother passed away. So she was spreading her mother's ashes at six years old at Alahaina mm. Beach and saw a young girl her age and approached that girl while her guardian at Lightum was with her and asked if she can come home with that girl and her family. So the guardian at Lightum approached her parents and said, this is what you can do if you want to be a resource care family. And fast forward two years, Friday after the fires, I'm seeing Charlie's new sister, her new parents, despite them evacuating, losing their home in Lahaina, losing their elementary school, Princess Nahi Ena Ena, that they were enrolled in, re-sheltering and re-enrolling in school, but just so happy to have a forever family. When I think if she's eight years old and just happy and thriving and to be alive despite all her challenges and hardships that she's experienced, I get inspired to know that we can all get through this, although it may be a long recovery, but we can all get through this with a little bit of love and support. Congratulations on being named one of the 60 Courageous Judges. Thanks again so much for your time. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Russell, on Hawaii Public Radio. That was Maui Family Court Judge Adrian Healy Kairas talking with HPR's Russell Subiono. Uh, Judge Healy Kairas was selected as one of 60 courageous judges from around the world this month by the National Judicial College in celebration of its 60th anniversary. Well, that does it for us today. Tomorrow, we look ahead at the economy with Paul Brubaker and Oceanit's Patrick Sullivan. What will it take to make real change? Call or talk back line, 808-792-8217 and record something. You can find the conversation segments on our website or on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you tune in for podcasts. I'm Catherine Cruz. We'll be back tomorrow with more of The Conversation.